This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut, the 10th day of November 2020. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call. It's only Tuesday. (laughs) You know, it's weird. It feels like it shouldn't be. It feels like it should be later than that. Uh, Although, I guess, you know, it's kind of dumb. Considering I watched Monday Night Football last night, the Patriots uh, pick up a win last night. We'll talk about that in a bit. (laughs) I I guess you'd, you'd call it an underwhelming win, but as the saying goes, a win is a win. Uh, as you heard on our newscast at the top of the hour, the chaos continues in Washington. Uh, no, no telling, no telling when that's going to end. Uh, Donald Trump refusing to concede. They had that uh, that weasel from Kentucky was on the news this morning, uh, Mitch McConnell. You know, and uh, he he is uh, he is towing the company line, and he's got Trump's back, and he it's within his right to you know to contest. And you know, those of you from the other side of the aisle need to shut up because you spent the last four years not wanting to accept the results of the previous election. Uh, you know, I guess the greatest thing that could happen would be if somehow the Democrats got control of the Senate. It's not going to happen. There's still a couple of runoff elections in Georgia, uh, but at best it would be a 50-50 split. That's if the Democrats win both of the runoff elections in Georgia, which is not likely. So the Republicans are liable to keep control of uh, the Senate, so we're going to have to listen to McConnell a lot more, although listening to Nancy Pelosi on the Democratic side ain't a lot better. Uh, but anyway, just uh, just uh, craziness, craziness. And Donald Trump talking about firing his uh, defense secretary, and he did it in a tweet. How appropriate. Unreal. All right, let's get to uh, Monday Night Football last night. Um, Patriots win it 30-27. to Nick Folk with a 51-yard field goal on the last play of the game. And the Patriots... Uh, sneak, sneak away with one. Um, so my takeaway from this is, is the Patriots are a fortunate to win it. They outscored the Jets 13 to nothing in the fourth quarter. You know, they were down 10 going into the fourth and they looked like they were in trouble. You know, and Cam Newton, they were talking, you know, he was 11 for his first 11, and, you know, he had, uh, you know, gaudy numbers in the first half in terms of completion percentage, but he never threw the ball down the field. This is, it was such a weird game to watch. We're not used to seeing a Patriot offense uh, running what I call uh, uh, the Dunkin' Donuts offense, the dink and dunk down the field. I mean, he wasn't throwing the ball more than seven, eight yards. Uh, matter of fact, I think in the first half he averaged like something like 7.3 yards per attempt or something pathetic like that. So, you know, 
11 for 12, well, good for you. You know, he completed his first 11 passes. Good for him, but, you know, he wasn't throwing the ball down the field. The Jets came with a lot of pressure, and it didn't seem like it was until the fourth quarter when finally Josh McDaniel said, you know, they're blitzing. Maybe I ought to run more screen passes and see if that will will work. You know, uh and it was strange. You know, McDaniels before the game said, well, we're going to run, we're going to do things a little differently. Well, what they did differently was not have Cam Newton run with the football. So you took away one of the biggest weapons that your team has had all year, which is Newton's ability to make things happen with his legs. And you turned him into a drop-back quarterback and to your detriment, I believe. You know, and look, at the end of the day, you look at Newton's numbers and you go 27 for 35, 274 yards. You know, he did not throw an interception. Huge. Give him that. You know, because he had been a turnover machine lately. No touchdown passes. Um, but, you know, you'll take 27 for 35 for 274 every week. But he got a lot of that in the fourth quarter. He finally started to throw the the ball down the field a little bit in the fourth quarter when he had to. But by and large, they relied on the ground game. Damian Harris averaged five yards a pop. Rex Burkhead was really – well, Nick Folk was the hero of this game for the Patriots, as he has been all year, by the way. Nick Folk, a guy who was a journeyman kicker, has been the MVP for the Patriots all year. Three field goals yesterday, including a 51-yarder to win it. <laughs> But Rex Burkhead is the guy, to me, that is the star of this game. Second half, uh, you know, midway through the third quarter into the fourth, he was a beast. Averaged 4.7 yards a carry on 12 carries in the second half and was, he ripped off, you know, he was ripping off at 1.78 yards a pop. So, it was the ground game that did it. Cam Newton ran the ball ten times, but you know they were mostly you know, and he had two touchdowns. So you say, well, he didn't he didn't, he didn't run. Well, no, he really didn't. You know, he had two touchdowns, but they were you know, well, a quarterback sneak and you know another one from about two yards away. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the Cam Newton that we're used to seeing. Now the Patriots will take the win, no question. Because, you know, there's a big difference between three and five and two and six. If it was two and six, we were seeing Jared Stidham next week. Three and five, now the Patriots are still looking at, hey, we got a chance, especially with the rumors. And I don't know whether this will happen or not, but there are still rumors out there that the NFL might consider adding more playoff teams, adding a couple more wildcard teams to each league. Based And I think that's going to depend, really, on whether everybody is able to finish 16 games or not. If we get to a point late in the season where not everybody can play the same number of games because of the whole COVID situation, um, then that might happen. And if it does, well, the Patriots want to make sure they're in that conversation. And even then, folks, right now, that's a stretch. I mean, when you look at it, they're third in the in the AFC East, and they still trail the Miami Dolphins by a couple of games. Never mind Buffalo. Buffalo is not even an issue anymore. But in order to, if even if they go to eight, in order to get in, you've got to pass teams like Cleveland and Vegas 
and Miami and Indianapolis. I mean, there's a lot of competition out there. And Baltimore, by the way. And they play Baltimore next. You know, and I have a feeling that, uh, you know, Baltimore is going to uh, <laughs> to run them out of the building, run them out of their own building because they're going to be at Foxborough next Sunday night against the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think that's going to be pretty. But give Newton credit at least for taking care of the football yesterday. You know, when it was so strange, they talked about he didn't run. They finally decided they were going to run late in the game. In the fourth quarter, they're down – uh, you know, deep in the Jets' territory, and they decide they're going to run a bootleg, and Cam Newton tripped over his own feet. And then later he did the same thing. <laughs> he was like he was so unaccustomed to running yesterday or he got so excited he was going to get a chance to, to run something to the outside that he tripped. And there were a couple of other things. I mean, perhaps the biggest play in the game outside of the the touchdown or the interception that Flacco threw in the th- the fourth quarter the biggest play in that game after Flacco had thrown that interception the jets looked like they might have a stop and then the jets got called for defensive holding which kept the drive alive and then Damian Harris runs for 21 yards gets it into jet territory Runs for nine yards. Um, That one gets called back because of a holding call. But then Cam Newton finally throws the ball down the field, hits uh, Jacoby Myers for 19 yards. And then hits Damian Bird for 31. You know, finally throwing the ball down the field. But the Jets, with that defensive holding call, shot themselves in the foot. But then again, they're an 0-9 football team, and that's what 0-9 teams do. So the Patriots are very, very fortunate. Myers, great game yesterday. It was his birthday, by the way. 12 catches, 169 yards, a career day for him. Uh, you know, there is a little bit of concern. Damian Harris took a shot, had to be helped off the field. Don't know what his condition is going to be for this week, but he was pretty banged up. Knowing Keel Harry yesterday again, no Sony Michelle again, and still they managed to win the game against a bad Jets team. Joe Flacco, the quarterback for the Jets, with uh, Sam Darnold still out. Look, uh, you got to give Flacco a lot of credit. Now, I know that that last drive for the Jets was a nightmare. You know, they get the ball back um, with the lead, with what around two minutes to play, and they go a th- they go three and out, or not three and out. Two, uh, they run two plays, and then Flacco throws the interception. He hadn't really made a mistake all day. He had been pretty good. And yet, he makes one bad play and one bad penalty, and the Jets lose that game. I mean, Flacco made a couple. He threw three touchdown passes in this game, and a couple of them were just things of beauty, right in the corner of the end zone and, and against the sideline and uh, you know, he looked good. He looked like the old Joe Flacco. 
threw for 262 yards. Actually passed Joe Montana, by the way, for 20th on the NFL uh, career passing yards list. But as they say, a win is a win. It wasn't pretty. The Patriots will take it. The Jets have a week off before they go to play the Chargers, and Chargers will find a way to blow that game on November 22nd. <laughs> Probably maybe the Jets will get their first win. Um, you know, it's so strange, and, and it's so where we are in terms of the Patriots this year where, you know, and I saw somebody else said this this morning on Twitter, it's like the Patriots win a game against a crappy team yesterday and yet, not all of a sudden, we're optimistic, and you know, maybe, maybe they can turn this season around. Now, I don't think they can, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but three and five with the Ravens coming up, I don't see it. I think this season is lost. I would rather that they had, you know, I'd rather, and, and they're not going to do that. As you know, somebody made the comment last night, as far as the Jets go, you know, if you're part of the Jets front office are you almost hoping that your team you know goes over or ends up with the first draft pick I mean do you want that and I can't remember which one of the guys on Monday Night Football said it last night but they said look players don't think that way competitors are going to compete you know so as much as I might want the Patriots to go two and 14 three and 13 you know competitors are going to compete they're not going to players are not going to tank and no front office is going to tell their players, hey, you don't work hard this week. Because, by the way, if the NFL catches wind of that, <laughs> they'll be held to pay. But I wouldn't mind seeing the Patriots, you know, uh, not do well. You know, Dave Massey just checked in. Dave said they'll be lucky to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, I, yeah, Dave, if they finish 8-8 eight and eight with this team, it's nothing short of a miracle. You know, let's not forget all the guys that all the guys on defense that opted out prior to the start of this season. And then, you know, the injuries to Michelle, the injuries to Harry, no Brady, uh, Edelman with the knee surgery, and even prior to the knee surgery, Julian Edelman was a shadow of his former self. I mean, they just don't have any weapons. You know, frankly, 8-8 eight and eight would be nothing short of a miracle. You know, I'm thinking more like six and ten at best. Now maybe they'll prove me wrong, you know. And everybody who thinks Bill Belichick is a uh, a coaching genius, well, he's going to have to be if <laughs> if they're, if they're going to finish 500. And frankly, finishing 500, you know, would not be a great thing for the Patriots because now all of a sudden, what are you? You're in the middle of the draft. You know, you're you're in the middle of the draft. You know, look, the Patriots have to draft a quarterback this year. They have to put themselves in a position where they can go out and get one of these top guys. Look, we know they're not getting Joey Lawrence. But there's going to be three or four other decent quarterbacks in this draft, and they are going to have to go get one. Because if they thought Jacoby Brissett was the answer, he'd be playing already. Right? I mean, this is his second year. He'd be playing. Miami decided that Tua was the guy, and they went to him in his rookie season after just a handful of games. So if they really believed in Brissett, he'd be playing. So that tells me you have to go out and get a quarterback. And 8-8, eight and eight, I'm not sure, where, you know, 
that's where you need to be. But, you know, if Dave's right and they're, they, they go 8-8, eight and eight, not great. Uh, by the way, one other uh, Patriots note, um, they are not going to be allowed fans uh, for the rest of the uh, home games this season. Uh, they were informed uh, that an executive order from the uh, uh, from the governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, uh, that their uh, that that executive order will remain in force for the remainder of the 2020 NFL season, as well, by the way, as the New England Revolution, the uh, the soccer team. So there will be no fans, you know. And we've seen now what about probably I would say what about half the teams, I guess, maybe maybe a little more than that, are actually allowing some fans into games. It's still strange. You look in the stands and. You know, you put 10,000 people in a stadium that holds 70 or 80,000, it looks like there's nobody there. Um, but uh, so, but they are not going to be at New England. And, you know, that's the thing, too. You've got the Ravens coming in next week. It's so different. You know, you don't – you wonder, you know, in some places like in Kansas City and in Seattle and in New England where crowds, you know, almost seem to be a factor. Green Bay. You know, to not have those huge crowds in those games, you know, the home team loses that home field advantage. As a matter of fact, I saw a stat that after last week's games or after this week's games, home teams are 65 and 65. So there has been no home field advantage for anybody in the playoffs this year. I mean, in the regular season this year. And the playoffs, you know, I mean, that'll be even that'll be even crazier with no fans. So, uh, you know, if they, you know, so if they had fans maybe coming up on Sunday with Baltimore coming in, well, maybe, you know, maybe it gives you a little bit of a boost. You, you get nothing, and that the canned uh, crowd noise that they're throwing in there is just silly. It's just silly. You know, the Jets game last night, they got the canned, you know, Jets cheer, J E T S. I mean, it's just dumb. You know, I am uh, I'm on this uh, with Major League Baseball. They have this uh, at bat fans uh, uh, thing that they run, where periodically during the year I get questionnaires um, about the game, about you know what baseball's doing, uh, you know game presentations, uh, what's going on in the field, you know, and just trying to get the opinion of fans. So I'm I'm part of this group. Well, one of the ones I got, and I got it just yesterday was about this past season and how did MLB do in terms of, you know, the new rules that they put in. What did I think of these, you know, and, and they give you a, a sliding scale from I strongly supported it to I absolutely hated it. One of the things that I put down that I absolutely hated was the the fake crowd noise. It was just, it's just, it's, it's insulting. You know, it really is. I mean, we're sitting at home. You can see the stands are empty, but they're piping in this crowd noise, and you're going to yourself, I, I know there's nobody there. What do they think? I'm stupid? You know, it, and the other one was is uh, they asked what we thought about uh, Fox putting uh, in uh, the fake crowds, the, the uh, digital crowd that they put in on a couple of their broadcasts to make it look like there were fans in the stands. I was like, that's, again, it's stupid. It's insulting. So not having fans, you know, I get it. But if we're not going to have fans, let's give the people at home the experience of what it's like. You know, 
look, I mean, I, I, I worked in college athletics for 25 years. I worked in Division One, and we had a baseball team that, you know, on a good day, you'd attract 500 people. On a cold day in New England at a baseball game, sometimes we'd be lucky if we had 10 people in the stands. The game was the same, whether you had crowd noise or whether you don't have crowd noise. That's the point I'm trying to make. Um, so don't insult our intelligence. I hate I hate the piped-in crowd noise. Absolutely hate it. Uh, a couple other NFL notes. Um, Dallas canceled their practice for this week. They have a bye week this week, and they were going to practice on Wednesday. Uh, they have canceled that practice um, because – Vance McDonald from the Pittsburgh Steelers has tested positive for the COVID virus. Um, and uh, he became, matter of fact, he became the first player from Pittsburgh uh, this year to come down with this or to test positive. So the Cowboys, since they just played the Steelers out of an abundance of caution, have canceled their practice. Everybody will stay home um, and uh, uh, they will wait and start practice after the weekend. Hopefully, you know, nobody else will test positive, but I, I think that's a smart move. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's just that's just the way 2020 is. Uh, a couple other COVID notes. Uh, Tom Izzo, the men's basketball coach from Michigan State, has tested positive. So uh, uh, with the start of the college basketball season two weeks away. How about that, by the way? How great is that? College basketball starts in two weeks. Um, uh, associate head coach Dwayne Stevens will run the practices while uh, Izzo isolates for 10 days. He's tested positive, but he is asymptomatic. So uh, the hope is uh, uh, he will be fine. And uh, But he said he will be connect, He will stay connected with the coaching staff and his players uh, via Zoom. Uh, another football game has best postponed this weekend. Number 20 Auburn and Mississippi State are not going to play. Um because Mississippi State uh, is below the minimum threshold of 53 available scholarship players. Uh, so that game is out. Uh, number five, Texas A&M has paused activities uh, because one of their players and a staff member tested positive after they returned uh, from their weekend trip to South Carolina. Uh, so they took yesterday off. Uh, they are going to work through Zoom again today, and then they will make a determination about when they can uh, resume practice. They're hoping uh, for Wednesday. And uh, Arkansas's head coach, Sam Pittman, has tested positive, and he could miss uh, Arkansas's game this weekend at number 6 Florida. So uh, that's your daily, <laughs> your daily coronavirus. Oh, one other coronavirus note. Uh, with the Masters coming up this weekend, Sergio Garcia has had to withdraw from the Masters after he tested positive. Um, he's He won the Masters three years ago, you know, and uh, he is not going to be there this week. Uh, uh, Joaquin Neiman of Chile also uh, announced this week that he had tested positive, so he has had to withdraw as well. So, uh, you know, again, welcome to 2020. So a couple of, uh, well, one big name, Garcia is the biggest name, uh, but he will not be at the Masters this week. It is 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. Um, so some, uh, I guess it's big news. This is, uh, this is, uh, is going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. Um 
the Chicago White Sox just hired Tony La Russa to be their manager again. He's 76 years old. Uh, there was a, a lot of controversy over that to begin with, the fact that, you know, uh, Rick Renteria was is up for manager of the year in the American League, and you fired him uh, to bring in a guy like La Russa, who is a buddy um, of Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner. But... Now, Tony La Russa, it has been revealed, has been charged with a DUI in Arizona from an incident that took place back in February. Supposedly back uh, on February 24th, he, uh, he allegedly ran his car into a curb in the Phoenix area. Police officer found him standing next to the SUV, um, and he was taken into con- custody after he failed a field sobriety test and supposedly the police officer called him uh, argumentative uh la Russa has a history with this he was he pled guilty to a dui in florida in 2007 after the police found him asleep inside his uh, running suv at a stoplight and he stunk of alcohol and you know, and at the time he was look. Everybody makes mistakes, okay. So don't get me wrong here, but this is a case where you know when that happened, he's like, I accept responsibility. I assure everyone I have learned a valuable lesson. It will never occur again. Well, it has, and here's the issue. Supposedly, the White Sox knew about this when they hired him. All right, now look. He's 76 years old. If he wants to drink himself into a stupor on a regular basis, that's his prerogative. But if you are the Chicago White Sox and and you have a, a young, exciting team that may be on the cusp of doing something uh, that hasn't happened in Chicago in, in, for the White Sox in a long time, which is make the playoffs and get a chance to get to the World Series. And with, you know, with these guys like Luis Robert and, and Anderson and Yoan Moncada and Jose Abreu and uh, Lucas Giolito, I mean, they've got some, some great players on this team. And now you are going to put a guy at the head of this organization that is 76 years old and is a two-time offender for drunken driving. Not a good look. You know, and you know Ken Rosenthal uh, points out, he says, well, he wants to know how can the White Sox continue to defend their hiring of Tony La Russa but let's let's remember something here, okay? And I don't, and I, you know, I'm not sure whether the White Sox should rescind this hiring or not. I'm not saying that they need to say, well, wait a minute, we need to fire this guy. But I'm talking about the public relations viewpoint here. It's not, the optics are not great. But what we also have to remember here is as passionate as we are as sports fans, and if you're a Chicago White Sox fan, you somehow feel like the White Sox belong to you, like you're like you have a vested interest, like you're a partial owner of the White Sox. You're not. As passionate as I am about the Boston Red Sox, they couldn't care less about me. At the end of the day, 
the White Sox are a private business. They're not publicly owned. Now, if the let's say the Red Sox go public one day, which is some talk that you know they might. Uh, John Henry was talking about perhaps taking uh, the team public. Uh, you know, Fenway Sports Group uh, being bought out by this company and 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 actually trading stock. That's a different. That's a bit of a different kettle of fish if that happens, because then you have stockholders that you're beholden to, but. 95% of professional sports teams are privately owned, including the White Sox. Jerry Reinsdorf owns that team. He can do whatever he wants. And there is not a damn thing that White Sox fans can do about it. Major League Baseball can't do anything about it. Major League Baseball doesn't have veto power on managers. They can veto who owns a team. You know, they're not going to let, you know, Joey Bag of Donuts uh, from, uh, you know, northern New Jersey, who's uh, who's connected by the New York Yankees. You know, the, the Major League Baseball can stop that from happening. But Major League Baseball, unless you have been banned like Pete Rose, you know, unless you have been suspended like Alex Hinch or A.J. Hinch was until, you know, he recently got hired. Uh, unless you're on some kind of restricted list, they have no say in this. So while the optics are not good, there's nothing that anybody can do about it. And I'm not, and I don't know what the answer is here. I don't know that the White Sox should change their mind. You know, if the, if if you feel that having Tony Larusa in your dugout, a guy who look has twenty seven hundred plus career wins on the bench over thirty three years, if you feel that he is the guy that is needed to get your team over the hump, then so be it. And who am I to say he's not? You know, White Sox fans, this this isn't going to be popular with a lot of White Sox fans. They're already pissed off that it was LaRusso when he got hired to begin with. Now you throw this into the mix, and they're going to be even more worked up. But at the end of the day, there is nothing that any of us can do about it. So we can all wring our hands, and maybe if the public outcry is large enough, Jerry Reinsdorf will rethink this. But he is under no obligation to. And maybe maybe he shouldn't. You know, this isn't something that occurred um, on the field. He isn't the first person by any means to have an issue with alcohol in this country. And I look and I'm not even I'm not trying to imply that Tony LaRussa uh, is an alcoholic, but Tony LaRussa obviously has some judgment issues if you are going to drink to excess and get behind the wheel of a vehicle. And it's easy for me to say now, but I remember in my younger days and how many of us didn't when I was you know, but but this was my younger days when I was in college. 
you know, and probably into my late 20s till probably till around the time I was 30, I got behind the wheel of a vehicle impaired more than once. And I can honestly tell you there are a couple of times I don't know how the hell I got home. But I did. My car was still in one piece and I was in my bed. I can tell. So we have all done that in our younger days. The difference is most of us grow out of that. So Tony LaRusso, you know, may have a problem or he may just have bad judgment. I don't know what it is. But at the end of the day, this is Jerry Reinsdorf's decision. And for Ken Rosenthal, who has an, an article in The Athletic this morning criticizing, you know, the White Sox for defending Tony LaRusso, you know, Ken Rosenthal can wring his hands all he wants. The Chicago media can wring their hands all they want. At the end of the day, Jerry Reinsdorf can tell them all to go pound sand. You know, and the only, you know, unless Chicago fans are going to stay away from the field and not, you know, and we don't even know if they're going to be able to have fans yet, but unless the fans say, oh, we're not coming to games if he's our manager, that might be the, you know, the bottom line, the, the dollars and cents will be the only thing that might make Jerry Reinsdorf change his mind. Now, again, maybe he will, maybe the, uh, you know, the outcry is going to be too much. But and, and this is still the playoff. The, it, this was just filed on October 28th, the day before the announcement was made. So it happened in February. They didn't even file the charge until October 28th. And I'm not sure why, unless I don't know whether the pandemic had anything to do with that. But it just seems strange to me that it took them eight months from the time he got pulled over to actually charge him with DUI. Why the hell did it take eight months? You know, so, and, and, you know, the question is, they said he failed a field sobriety test. You know, they don't say whether they, uh, whether that he, whether he, they did a breathalyzer or a blood test or anything, um, you know, and there's, there was nothing in the AP report to let us know that, you know, maybe they didn't. So maybe this could simply be, yeah, he was standing next to his car and he was argumentative and maybe he failed a field sobriety test. He's also 76 years old and maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But maybe maybe there's enough gray area here. We don't know all the facts. So maybe there's enough gray area where Reinsdorf and the White Sox felt comfortable enough to let this go forward. I don't know. Uh, the Red Sox have a press conference scheduled for uh, 1 o'clock today, I believe it is, 1 or 1.30, um, with Alex Cora and uh, Heim Bloom and the Red Sox ownership about the rehiring of Alex Cora. This is going to be a very, very interesting press conference. This is going to be a very important press conference for Alex Cora. Alex Cora is going to be asked consistently by more than one person and in more than one way about what went down in Houston and what went down in Boston when the Red Sox were kind of slapped on the wrist for the whole video room thing, which was made into a lot more than it actually was. But he's And, and he was cleared in that. But he is going to be asked questions about all those things today. He must, must, must show 
some contrition. He has to. He cannot be argumentative with these guys. He cannot try to defend what happened in Houston. There must be some contrition on his part. He has to show that he made that he has to admit that mistakes were made, that he regrets them, that they didn't happen in Boston with him, and that it's not going to happen again. And that has to happen. He can't fight back. Now, he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to sit there and allow people to insult him, but he has to show contrition. And he has to show gratitude. And his early comments that he has made through the press have shown the gratitude part that the Red Sox are are willing to bring him back. That's good. But there has to be, he has to show that demeanor today of being sorry. You know, and, and I said all along, if the players in Houston, from the moment that this thing broke and, the, and after they got punished and it all came out, if the players had come out and said, this got out of hand, we're sorry, it shouldn't have happened. If they had just done that, this would not have blown up the way it did. But every, almost to a man in Houston, every one of them said, screw you. <laughs> right? They did. So, you know, uh, Alex can't do that because we know how tenacious the Boston media is. He has to nip this in the bud now. So it's going to be on live on Nesson. Of course, I can't watch it now because uh, uh, YouTube TV no longer has Nesson because they has a dispute over over fees or whatever. So um, I may be. By the way, if if YouTube TV doesn't fix that between now and uh, baseball season, uh, I may be going back to uh, to Direct TV. I may have to spend the extra money to go back just because I can't not have Nesson. That's not going to work. Uh, but it will be on live Nesson today, and there's also going. They're going to have a a post press conference show after it's over, um, where I guess uh, they'll everybody will break down what was said, and you know we'll go from there. But very important, you know. And of course, everybody's going to want to. The other guy that's on the hot seat today, and and this is going to be interesting too. Hein Bloom's going to be on the hot seat because everybody thought he'd want to bring in his own guy. Well, he's bringing in the old guy, and. Heim Bloom is going to have to convince people that this hire was made with his blessing, that he, that this is what he wanted, that after looking at things, this was the guy he needed to bring this team back. By the way, I think it was because of the relationships that he had with some of these players, especially Devers. But Heim Bloom also, you know, if Heim Bloom is squirming on his seat, when people ask him about the hiring process and about what led to Alex Cora's hiring, if he's squirming and he is not uh, uh, fully on board with this, people are going to know. And people and, and the media and the fans will pick up on that all during the season. Anytime anything goes wrong, you know, people will be flashing. There'll be cameras flashing up to the press box looking at, looking at Bloom. So... Two guys a bit on the hot seat today. More Alex Cora than, than Bloom, but uh, it will be very, very interesting, and, and Alex has to do the right thing today. 48 minutes past. Yeah, we'll take a quick break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 
It's 50 minutes past the hour, just a few minutes left here this morning. I had to share this. Pete Abraham had this in his Sunday column uh, in the Boston Globe this weekend. Uh, This is a job opening that has been posted by the Boston Red Sox in their analytics department. You ready? Qualifications include a bachelor's degree in an analytical field such as statistics, predictive analytics, data science, engineering, applied math, physics, quantitative social sciences, computer science, computer vision, or operations research. A master's, Ph.D., or equivalent experience in one of the aforementioned fields is preferred, along with advanced understanding of statistical methods or machine learning techniques, proficiency with modern database technologies, including SQL, and demonstrated experience with programming languages. Wow. That that is what you need to get a job in the front office of a baseball team in 2020. Ouch. Um, we were mentioning uh, the whole Houston thing. Well, it just that thing just gets uh, more bizarre. Is now Jeff Lunau, the general manager, former general manager of the Astros, who was fired, has sued the Houston Astros for twenty-two million dollars for breach of contract. Uh, the twenty-two million dollars is the salary that he was owed under his deal when he got fired in January. Um. And the suit says that he was uh, that Lunau was unaware uh, that a camera was used to steal signs during the 2017 season, and um, and uh, that the investigation really wasn't an investigation at all; that it was just a negotiated resolution between the Houston owner and Rob Manfred, and that the guy that uh, one of the pl- one of the uh, guys in the front office this guy named uh, Tom Koch Wessner who is the director of advanced information was one of, was the only one of 70 witnesses in the MLB investigation to claim that Lunau knew about it <laughs> you know and they said so that was the only source that they had and by the way the the deal they cut a deal with this guy that it, that he would talk and he wouldn't lose his job. So Luna was basically saying, you bribed the guy saying, you know, uh, that he won't lose his job, but he had to throw somebody under the bus, and he decided to throw me under the bus. And there are supposedly some that during the uh, investigation, there were some 22,000 emails or, or 22,000 text messages sent or received uh, by Koch Wessner during this whole thing, and uh, that none of this... Uh, pointed to Lunau. And matter of fact, in one of them, uh, one of them, he actually texted his colleagues and said, don't tell Jeff. If that's the case, Lunau says, well, if you're saying don't tell Jeff, then how the hell was I supposed to know? So, you know, uh, Hinch has been rehired. Cora's been rehired. Uh, Lunau has this hanging over his head. And he's, this is more a case, I think, for Lunau of trying to ensure future uh, employment because he's concerned he might not ever get a job again because his name was dragged through this uh, big time. And uh, uh, he signed a contract back in 2018 for $31 million in guaranteed compensation plus performance bonuses and profit interest. And he is saying at minimum he is owed $22 million because he was fired uh, a year later. So to be continued. Um, 
Some good news out of baseball. The Rookies of the Year were announced yesterday. Kyle Lewis won the uh, AL Rookie of the Year Award center fielder for the Seattle Mariners. And uh, Devin Williams, uh, relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, won it in the National League. This was interesting. He was he became the first uh, player to win this award without re- recording a save or making a start. Think about that. That's how baseball has changed today. The last uh, reliever to to win the Rookie of the Year in either league actually was Craig Kimbrell back in 2011. Well, we know what he does. He closes games. Well, Williams, look, he was great. Uh, he he's uh, he. Pitched to an 0-3-3 ERA, struck out 53 guys in 27 innings, uh, had a four and one record, uh, but never start made never made a start obviously, and never got a save. But he wins Rookie of the Year. Good for him. I mean that's great. Uh, Jay Cronenworth and Alec Bohm finished uh, second and third in the NL. Uh, White Sox center fielder Luis Robert uh, finished second in the AL behind uh, uh, in front of uh, Christian Javier from the Houston Astros. He finished third. Uh, and by the way, these guys, and, and, you know, a lot of people are wondering, well, why are they making a point of this? Both these guys are black, which is awesome. It's the first time that uh, two black guys have won Rookie of the Year, I think, since the 80s together. And why that's why is that important? Because we are losing, uh, we are losing uh, a lot of black athletes. Baseball doesn't have them the way they did before. Now the minorities in baseball, or actually they're majority now, it seems like, Hispanic players are uh, taking over baseball where black players now are going more towards basketball and football because the money is there, you know. And uh, so now, you know, having guys like Lewis and Williams win Rookie of the Year, hopefully that inspires some other black youths to stay with baseball. Uh, and, and, you know, look, we, Kyler Murray, a guy who was a, a great baseball player, was drafted by the Oakland Athletics, decided to go with football rather than baseball. And, it, you know, I thought it was a mistake, but looking at what Kyler Murray's doing right now, what the hell do I know? Uh, but anyway, so congratulations to uh, Kyle Lewis and uh, Devin Williams. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow morning with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Tomorrow, uh, Sam Dossler. Um, from the Connecticut uh, PGA will join us tomorrow morning to talk about the Masters, to talk about Bryson DeChambeau and how he's changing the game of golf. Uh, that'll be at 9.30 tomorrow morning, so I hope you can join us. We leave you this morning with a little music from Delbert McClinton and Lone Star Blues. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Last weekend out in El Paso, so I signed up to ride. I drew a bull called Original Sin, heard it kill a couple of men. Figured this was something I could win, cause the devil's on my side. I was having myself one hell of a ride when I ended up disqualified, cause that danged old bull just up and died before they blew the whistle. I got them North Texas blues Thought I'd paid all my dues And them South Texas blues Told me, son, you ain't through Had them East Texas blues And them West Texas too I've done all I know to do Trying to lose Trying to 
boots Shooting dice with a dude from Houston There ain't no jobs here working cattle So I got on part-time hauling gravel With some outfit from Seattle Down here building custom homes Well, I got them North Texas blues Thought I'd pay all my dues And them South Texas blues Still running. I got them no. 